0: Hello everybody and welcome to Hess Road Wesleyan Youth Podcast. Again, just like I mentioned in the last episode, we're basically going to move to a format where until I have something significant to update you on, I'm going to skip the update part. Um, If anybody is listening, just a little reminder that we do have our Zoom meeting again on Saturday uh, at 8.30. And I also want to remind you, if you happen to be listening and you missed our last Zoom meeting, let you know that we are going to be doing a 30-hour famine next week. We're going to begin next Friday, which is May 1st, at noon. And it will end the following Saturday, which is May 2nd, at 6. And we're going to be focusing on prayer. So I'm going to be delivering a prayer schedule to everyone so that you guys know exactly what we're going to be praying for and at what time we're going to be praying. This will be opened up to the whole uh, Hess Road Wesleyan Church, so I hope a lot of people, uh, even outside of the youth group, participate, but I want to invite you guys to participate. Um, If you haven't done 30-hour famine before, I think it's a great way to think about what fasting is, and mostly, I really think it's an awesome way to get our minds to start thinking outward. Uh, Not just about ourselves, Um, we ought to pray for ourselves, it's important that we pray for ourselves, but we also need to be able to think about the world around us. We need to be able to think about our families, our friends, our uh, cities, our states, our nation, our world, and so we need to really be concentrated on outward thought. So hopefully you'll join with me on that, but otherwise, let's move on to our Bible study. So, in the last podcast, if you listened to that, we started looking at the Book of Mark. Uh, Mark is a gospel that, for me, it's really fascinating because growing up, uh, when I first became a Christian, and really throughout college and in my twenties and thirties, Matthew was my favorite book of the Bible. It still is probably my favorite book of the Bible, but uh, it's the gospel that I felt most familiar with and the one that I enjoyed a lot. But a couple of years ago, I took an online course on the Gospels um, as a just to do some graduate work and hopefully get a graduate degree, and I really discovered some interesting stuff about the Gospel of Mark that kind of propelled a new appreciation for that book and, and a love for it. So last week we looked at chapter 1, and, and what we saw in chapter 1 is that the book of Mark is... Really fast-paced. There's a lot going on, and it's going on pretty quickly. And we saw that Mark skips the birth narrative. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He just comes on the scene with John the Baptist. And we have a couple of instances where Jesus is proclaimed um, as the Son of God, or as the Chosen One, a Holy One, or or something of that nature. But then toward the end of that chapter, uh, as Jesus is healing people, and people are kind of crowding around him and starting to follow him, he seems to want to draw away from crowds, and he even wants the people that he has healed to not talk about him, to not talk about what he's done or, or anything like that. He kind of wants to be in secret, which if you're reading the book, it just seems really odd. It, to me, if you're reading it for the first time, why does he want to hide his identity? Why doesn't he want people to know? who he is. Uh, And I think there's some reasons for that, which we'll get to eventually. But uh, for right now, I want to dive into chapter two. And chapter two basically has mm, three or sorry, four different stories, if you will, or four different little accounts. And if you haven't read chapter two, my suggestion for you is to pause the podcast right now uh, get out your Bible and go ahead and read chapter two because I don't—I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing aloud, uh, but I will comment on it, and I hope that and I think it'll make better sense if you've already read it. So the first story you get is this story where he's in Caperna- C- Capernaum, and that's still up in Galilee, so he's not in Jerusalem or anything like that at this point. And he is—he he heals a paralytic. And what happens is he's in this house, and the house is really crowded, and these friends of the paralytic decide to lower him into the house so that he can see Jesus. And the story is odd in this. Uh, In verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5, we get, and when Jesus saw their faith, so that is the faith of this paralytic's friends, I think that's interesting. He saw the faith of their friends. And then he turns to the paralytic and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. So he doesn't heal the paralytic right up front, anyway. And then everybody's the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're they're mad at him. They they're they're saying, like, whoa, you don't have the right to forgive somebody's sins. I mean, especially not even somebody that you don't know, somebody that hasn't sinned against you. Um, and and to the Pharisees' credit, to the to the scribes' credit. I can really understand why they're bewildered if someone came to me that I didn't know, even like a famous preacher or something like that, and they said, Nathan, your sins are forgiven. I would say, what? You know, like, who are you? Like, you don't have any right to do that. I Maybe mean, God has the right to do that, but not you. And so Jesus' response to the scribes here is is super cool. He basically says to them, well, hey, you know, I know what you're thinking and you're thinking that it's only God can forgive sins, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and heal this guy too. So not only am I going to forgive his sins, but I'm going to heal him. And this is controversial because Jesus really is proclaiming at this moment to be on the level with God. He is saying, I am able to, to forgive sins. I have that authority. I have that right to do that. And that would have been scandalous and really offensive to a lot of these scribes and Pharisees. All right, so now we move, want to move on to the next section of chapter 2. And this is starting in verse 13 and ending in 17. And I'm not going to say a ton about this section, but uh, there are a couple of small remarks that I'd like to make. This is where uh, Jesus calls another disciple named Levi. He's also known as Matthew. And a lot of people think that this is the author of Matthew here. But I don't want to focus on that. What I really want to focus on is this. If you go back to chapter 1, you'll notice that Jesus had already picked a few disciples and he had picked some fishermen. And here's the point that I want to draw. Jesus does not seem to be very picky when it comes to class or working status. Uh, When you look at these two professions, tax collector and fisherman, you really couldn't get much further apart. I mean, this is almost like the equivalent of saying I picked somebody who worked at McDonald's and somebody who was a career politician uh, to be my disciples. And those are very different worlds. And the tax collector one that, that position was one that was hated by a lot of people at the time, uh, because a lot of Roman tax collectors would take advantage of people and collect more than they were supposed to collect and things like that would happen. So <clears throat> it's important to see that Jesus does not think about his followers as just like one type of person. Okay, And I don't think Christianity really is about being just like one type of person. It's not just a middle class religion or it's not just a religion for the wealthy or a religion just for the poor. It's a religion for people of all classes and all backgrounds. That part doesn't seem to matter. What does seem to matter is something that we get in the second part of this story where Jesus goes to Levi's house and he's having dinner and the scribes see this and they're really upset about it. And they're saying, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus responds with this line, those who have no need, sorry, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So it seems like the one unifying factor in Jesus's disciples is that they are sinners. But I would maybe even read into this a little bit and say that it's people who recognize that they are sinners. If someone thinks of themselves as righteous already, then they don't need anybody to help them out. They don't need anyone to forgive their sins. So I love the sequencing here so far. He's forgiven the sins of the paralytic and openly talked about how he he has the authority to forgive sins. And then the next thing he does in this second section is he talks about how he doesn't need to forgive righteous people. The people who follow him are sinners, people who are in need of forgiveness. Now, to close out this second chapter, we get stories, uh, two back-to-back stories. One is about fasting and one is about Sabbath. So I'm actually going to tie these two together and the reason why is because it's, a, it's really the Pharisees are continuing to question Jesus about his practices. In the first story, it's about why don't his disciples fast? And in the second story, it's about why are his disciples uh, picking grain on the Sabbath? So let's start with the fasting one. We, we've got this whole situation where the disciples don't fast. And the Pharisees are kind of upset about it. And Jesus says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So, really, I don't want to draw a whole lot out of this, but I do want to draw one simple thing. Um, As I talked about this on the Zoom meeting, fasting is something that is assumed by the New Testament. Okay, It's not something that gets talked about a whole lot, but the New Testament authors bring it up and talk about it as if it is something that will regularly be practiced. But Jesus seems to think that his disciples should not be fasting right now. And the simple reason is that Jesus is with him. That You don't fast during a time of celebration. So, for instance, for me, when I think about my regular fast, fasting practices, I would not want to fast when I go to my sister's wedding or something like that. Okay, If I'm celebrating the marriage of my sister, I, I want to feast. I, I want to really celebrate. I don't want to be fasting. right? So Jesus says, this is a special time. I'm here. This, the rules kind of get relaxed or changed a little bit. And that also seems to be the case here with the Sabbath. Now, there's a number of different ways to look at this passage. And so I'm not going to go into super detail about the possibilities here. But basically what we get is the disciples and Jesus, they're out and about. And they are picking grain on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees come to them and they say, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, it is possible that they were actually technically breaking the Torah or the the biblical law regarding the fact that you couldn't thresh wheat and things like that on the Sabbath. You couldn't do actual work. And it is possible that they were doing the work of threshing or breaking down the wheat. Uh, There's also the possibility that they were just walking along and picking um, grains of wheat with their hands and then rubbing it together and then eating it. We don't entirely know what's going on. But what Jesus does is he responds to them with this whole story about David. And what I really suggest that you do is go back and look at 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. And that's where you'll find this story. Now, there's two different ways of looking at this. The first way is the way that I historically have seen it, but it may not be the right way. So I'll, I'll say it really quickly here. I've always thought that basically what Jesus did with this story with David is that he was saying, look, David and his men were hungry. This was a special situation, and so... They were able to eat the bread, the bread of the presence, even though they weren't allowed to normally. You weren't supposed to. He's saying, but they, they did it anyway. And you guys have understood that that was okay, that it was necessary for him to eat it during that time. Now, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is to say that, look, you guys hold up David as the greatest king of Israel and when you hold him up, you've overlooked the fact that he broke the law in this instance. If you can overlook at, overlook David breaking the law, then surely you should be able to overlook me breaking the law with my disciples. But whatever way you choose to look at this passage, I want to focus on the end of it. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is radical. He is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be Lord over the Sabbath or the creator of it. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Mark chapter 2. We will continue with Mark chapter 3 next time. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I really encourage you to continue to read Mark. uh, Read chapter 3 before we get to the next section. Uh, read, Read the whole gospel. Uh, See what you think of it. Uh, See what observations you can bring to the table. Uh, I used to journal when I would read my Bible. I would just get out a sheet of paper and I would write what I thought about each chapter or each section of a book that I read. And sometimes my thoughts were really dumb, but that was okay. It was a process of learning, and I encourage you guys to do that too. All right. See you next time. Adios.